We continue our readings in 1 Corinthians. Tonight it's chapter 3, starting at verse 10. And in your Bibles, that's on page 1146. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Thank you very much, Bob. Good evening, everyone. Really good to see you and to be with you tonight. Please do keep your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 10, and let's pray as we come to God's word together. Father, we ask that your word would help us, would help us to stand firm as your children. We pray that your word would equip us to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord Jesus, knowing that this work is not in vain. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. In 1792, George Washington and some other founding fathers of the United States laid the foundation stone of the building that would to be, was to be known as the White House. They held a special ceremony, there was lots of uh, pomp and seriousness, and they laid the stone. And then they all went down to the local tavern, and they drank so much that when they returned to the, the site a couple of days later... They couldn't find the stone at all. They were meant to be showing the builders around, and they couldn't remember where they put the stone. They couldn't find it. And so despite all their care in laying the foundation stone, they had to admit defeat to lay a new stone somewhere else and get on with building the house. And presidents ever since have been secretly hoping they might discover the original foundation stone, maybe as they knock down a wall here or as they do a bit of digging in the garden over there. They would love to be the one that establishes that connection with the authentic, original beginning of the White House. Now, when the Bible talks about our foundation as a local church, it's not talking about the physical building. Rather, it's talking about a more fundamental foundation of who we are 
as church, why we exist, what sort of community it is that we are, what we're about, what goes on among us. And the heart of those things is a spiritual thing. The foundation of those things is a spiritual foundation. Our identity is a spiritual one primarily, not a physical one. And this foundation is none other than Jesus Christ himself. This is what makes a true church a true church. It's foundation, Jesus Christ. What makes a church a healthy church is careful building on this foundation of Jesus. Not forgetting where it was and laying another one like George Washington and co., but careful building upon it. And the true life of a healthy church is found in the truth that God dwells among his people as they are together. A church's security is found in the truth that if anybody destroys this living spiritual community built on Jesus, then God will destroy them. Now we see all those things taught in our passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's been teaching this church that they belong to God. He doesn't want these Christians to be so distracted by the way their city works and its culture that they forget their foundations. They forget who they are as church. As Paul writes to them, he can see from afar there's an awful lot of behavior in this church that looks a lot more like how the world around them is behaving than how the church of Jesus Christ should be behaving. And so he's encouraging them here. He's reminding them about where their foundation truly is and how that should affect their whole life together. This community's foundation is Jesus. They should be all about him. They need to make sure they're carefully building this church on Jesus so they don't do damage to others or to themselves. See, God cares deeply about every spiritual community that is built on Christ. He reserves severe punishment for those who destroy such communities. And he holds church leaders at every level accountable for how they build these communities. And here in our verses, we're we're addressed as a whole church with these words of encouragement and warning. We're going to be encouraged in our spiritual building project, but also we're going to be challenged as we consider what our foundation truly is as Christchurch Banstead. Do we know where our foundation is? Do we know how each bit of church life connects with this foundation? Are we taking care to build something that will last, that is truly all about Jesus? Two points to help us work our way through these two paragraphs. Firstly, we learn that building carefully on Jesus leads to blessing. Looking at verse 10 to 15 there, building carefully on Jesus leads to blessing. Paul begins this section here by reminding the church community in Corinth of their foundations. Uh, He knew what their foundations were. He was there when they were laid. He was in Corinth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was as people in Corinth turned to faith in Jesus that Paul and his fellow workers established this church on Jesus Christ. They baptized people into Christ. They taught people about Christ. They encouraged the church in Corinth to stay committed to Christ. 
even when that was very unpopular, even when it uh, was opposed by important people in the town. Because Paul knew that the church's only foundation is Jesus Christ. And so as he says here in verse 10, Paul laid this foundation as a wise builder. And his desire is that whoever comes after him, whoever's building in the church in Corinth, doesn't try and lay another foundation somewhere over there and base church on that thing, but that they remain all about Jesus. After all, as Paul says in verse 11 here, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's as if Paul is like a master builder. He's done the the foundations, the key bit of the building, And then he's been called away and he's let out the rest of the work to subcontractors. Now, if their work is not up to scratch, if they use the wrong materials, then there's going to be dire consequences for them and for the building. Shoddy workmanship on top of a sound apostolic foundation will not be tolerated. And so the encouragement of this paragraph to any who have any building responsibility in church life is to build carefully. End of verse 10 there. You see that each one should build with care. So those who teach or lead in Christ church, those who do any sort of spiritual building work, we should build with care. And let's not think that these verses just now apply to the people with recognized roles of teaching or leadership in the church. Because actually each of us as Christians have an influence on one another as we are called to build one another up in Christ. And so as we all play our part in supporting one another, in strengthening one another, in our spiritual lives individually and our life together as church, in whatever way we do that, these verses invite us to pause and consider, am I doing that building work on Christ? Am I pointing to him? Am I establishing people in him? Am I using materials and resources that are compatible with this foundation, which is Jesus Christ and the truth about him? And the way we're motivated to build with care is by these verses telling us what will happen to our building work on the one day that really matters. Verse 13 there, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. In the house we moved into last year, we were aware that the fences in the back garden weren't exactly installed by master builders. Uh, Some of the posts were a bit loose, Uh, a few of them were too far spread apart, But we thought, you know, we'd get round to sorting them out at some point. And then we went away this past week and Storm Eunice arrived and proceeded to thoroughly test the quality of the workmanship. Had to be an illustration about the winds, didn't there? The work was shown for what it was. It didn't look pretty in the dark last night when we got home. And today in the light, things have been fully revealed for what they are. But better than a storm, Paul uses the image of a fire here, halfway through verse 13. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
Now, fire was a well-established Bible picture for God's judgment. Uh, and this goes together with the, the day, capital D there, earlier in the verse, the day, which refers to the day of the Lord, the day when God will examine and judge all human deeds and establish his full and final and perfect justice. So a day is coming that will not only bring judgment on all who have not turned to Jesus as Savior and King, but it's also going to bring everything else out into the light. It's going to bring all our efforts at doing church into the light to be seen for what they are and what they have been. What we've been using in this building project will be revealed for what it is. Its quality will be tested. There are a few different um, materials listed in verse 12 here. Gold, silver, costly stones, wood or hay or straw. I don't think the point of this list is that some are better than others. It might seem that way to us. We'd rather be building with gold than straw. But rather the list is here to remind us that it doesn't matter what you build with in a church community, if it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Anything else is, well, it boils down to fluff that's going to be consumed by flames on the day of the great building inspection. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only eternally fireproof material with which to build. So day is coming that's going to test the integrity of all the work we do as a church community in building one another up in Christ. It's going to test all the work we do of filling the church diary with different things. It's going to test all the work we do in setting the direction of what we're about as a church. This will all be tested. And so we should build with great care. Our spiritual building work, our church activity should not be hasty. It should not be just for show. We are to be building our community solidly from the ground up in a way that is designed to endure for eternity. We should take care to build on the one foundation that is Jesus Christ, using materials that, if you like, have been cut from the same cloth as the good news about him. Otherwise, like the fences in my back garden, in the end, what, what's the point of them going to be? Now, there are rewards and there are close shaves described in verses 14 and 15 here. Uh, one of these will come to each person involved in any spiritual building work in the life of the church. Now, let me just say here, Paul is not speaking here of the fate of individuals at the final judgment. He's not talking about people's salvation here. The theme is still the scrutiny of the building work. And so both the good and the bad builders, we see that they're both saved in verse 15. Even in the, uh, the bad example in verse 15, that builder is saved. But he is saved like any of us is saved, only by God's grace. Uh, but for him, for this one builder described here, the experience is more like someone running from a building that they've constructed, but the building is on fire. They've been working on it, uh, and they run away. They escape the flames, 
but how much of their investment of time and energy behind them survives? Not much, if anything. Well, in contrast, the builder who builds carefully with the gospel of Jesus, um, there in verse 14, will receive a reward. Now, once again, this reward is not salvation. If you build church carefully, you're going to be saved by God. No, that's not how it works. We're all saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But those who build carefully will be rewarded by such building. There's some sort of blessing in store to enjoy and delight in for careful builders of church communities who build only on Jesus. And I think it works something like this. If you've been a Christian for a while and you've carefully invested in others, maybe that's your experience, you've shared the gospel with people, you've seen people come to faith in Christ, you've got on with the task of carefully building them up in the truth of Jesus and his word. You've, you've played big parts in that in the lives of some and small parts in that in the lives of others. Then isn't it a real, real joy? Isn't it really encouraging when years later you see those individuals still going on as mature Christian believers, standing firm on, on Jesus and his word? maybe even years after they've left your sphere of influence. And you think back to your careful investment of time and uh, and your careful teaching and applying of the gospel, and you see the results and you think, wow, isn't God great? Isn't he gracious? And isn't that person a great testimony to the power of Christ and his death and resurrection? If we were to take that experience and Multiply that out for the length of your life and and all those who you could invest in in that way. And then if we we were to take that feeling and, and factor it out for all eternity in glory, then I think we get a sense of the kind of reward that is being talked about here. For if that was the case, as we look around in the new creation and see the fruit of such humble, spiritual, faithful work not only survive but bring glory to Jesus for all eternity. Wow, what a feeling that would be. What a great delight. What a reward. Now, if you're a Christian and you don't invest in that careful building, if you don't take care with how you point others to Christ and how you help their lives be built on Jesus, then you will still be there by God's grace. After all, you trust in him, but there won't be that same reward to share in, the fruit of your your labors of, of careful building and investment in others. So in our building up of one another, let's make sure that our building work conforms to the foundation of Jesus Christ, that it's cut from the same cloth, that it clearly points people to Jesus, that it helps them to grow to maturity in him. And we can do that in all sorts of ways. I think we can do that in the things that we prioritize in church life, the things that we say yes to and the things that we say no to. 
Uh, perhaps if you think about Christchurch, as we do quite a lot, as we're part of the church family here, we find ourselves thinking sometimes, I wonder if we should do this as a church family. I wonder if we should do more of this other thing, or maybe less of that thing, or maybe we should stop doing this thing, or that group, or that event. Uh, we're always asking ourselves those sorts of questions, aren't we? Particularly if you've got a role in, uh, in playing a part in that building project. Now, how are we going to arrive at a yes or no answer to those things? Well, we're going to get there by weighing up whether each and any of those things are clearly helping us to build people up in Christ on the solid foundation of the gospel. There should be that clear connection between all that we do in Christ church and our mission of making disciples of Jesus as we go, win, and grow. Uh, imagine we had um, a group of people called the spiritual building inspectors. Now, these people don't exist, don't worry. But in my imagination, they, they operate a bit like Ofsted do in schools. They would just show up at short notice and they pluck something out of Christ church, maybe a particular group that we run, an activity, an event, uh, a day in the life of Christ Church. They'd look at our diary, they'd look at what we write about, what we train, how we invest in people, what resources we use. Would there be lots of building work going on under such an examination that clearly conforms to the foundation of Jesus Christ? I think there would be a lot, and I'm encouraged by that. Would there be anything going on that's taking resources away from another area of church life that could be a, a better investment of building people up to maturity in Christ and, and sharing the good news with others? Would there be any evidence that there are other foundations being built or laid elsewhere where the goal is not building people up in Jesus but something else? I found those questions challenging to reflect on, and I think we all will as well. Building carefully on Jesus leads to blessing. Let's do just that, like master crafts people, not so much interested in quantity, but in quality. The church belongs to God, it is his building, and specifically it's a special type of building. It's none other than God's temple. Which leads on to our second point. If building carefully on Jesus leads to blessing, then destroying God's temple leads to destruction. Looking at our last two verses there, destroying God's temple leads to destruction. Come back with me to the White House again in Washington, D.C. This time the year is 2001. It's September the 11th. And it's possible that the White House was the target for the hijacked plane uh, United Flight 93 to fly into and destroy. Uh, we don't know for sure it was either that or maybe the U.S. Capitol building in, in Washington. Now, it was bad enough on that day for the USA that terrorists crashed into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. That was enough to kickstart the war on terror. And I guess that feeling of vengeance would have been greater still had one of those buildings also been hit, maybe the Capitol building or the White House. Now, why would that be so? Well, because those buildings symbolize something 
about the nation's identity, who these people are. In the case of the White House, the most important person in the country, maybe even the world, lives there. That is his home and place of work. And so if such a target was hit, you can imagine how much even greater the the vengeance of the nation would be, the desire for vengeance towards the person who destroyed that place. Well, how much even greater still is the just vengeance for any who would destroy the dwelling place of God himself. Verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So as much as we've been Uh, appreciating this image of the church being like a building. It's not just any old building. It's a very special building indeed. It's the temple of God. It's the place where God's Spirit dwells. Now, later in the letter, Paul's going to encourage Christian believers that as individuals, their bodies are to be temples of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that later in the series. But here the emphasis is on the body of believers as a whole, together, the church that are God's temple. So the the you word here in these verses is is plural, and I think our our translation helpfully reflects this. It's got the word yourselves in verse 16, uh, and the word together in verse 17. So it's not so much talking here about the individual Christian being a temple where God lives but about the church community as a whole, as the place where God dwells. And this is only true because of the work of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection and ascension, because of the pouring out of his spirit, the church can now be described here as God's temple. The spirit of God is present in this new community founded on Jesus. It's in this community where praise and worship are rightly offered up to God. It's in this community where service of God takes place now. And the point here is that if the church truly is the dwelling place of God, and we're taught here that it is, then God will surely deal severely with those who corrupt or destroy it, as it says in verse 17. Those who ride roughshod over this community are offending God himself. It's as if they've just barged into God's house and made a great big spiritual mess everywhere, and they don't care about the consequences. Such people are courting God's judgment. And so if anyone, anyone, whether from outside the church or from inside the church, if anyone turns God's temple into a playground or a toy for their own arrogant purposes, if they turn it into something that just exists for their own prestige or vanity, then such people are to be solemnly warned, just as these verses do. If you destroy God's temple, then God will destroy you. This is 
serious stuff. The stakes are high, and they are high, because God has chosen to be present in this world. Since the the day of Pentecost, ongoing now, till Jesus returns, God has chosen to be present in an ongoing way in this world through a specific community of human beings. The church worldwide and every local expression of church. This is where God is present. This is where God makes himself known. So those who damage this community, those who seek to destroy it, they're interfering with God's chosen method of of showing his presence, his glory, his power to the nations, his salvation. As we saw last week in in verses 1 to 4, this makes jealousy, it makes quarreling or division over leaders out of place in, in the life of the local church. These things, if left unchecked, could well lead to the destruction of local churches. Such behavior makes a mess in God's house. It, it courts his judgment. It's as if it, it sort of puts blackout curtains up over the, the windows and it obscures the, the glorious work of Christ that's going on inside his temple, the community, the church. There's an important distinction to note from this paragraph compared to the previous one. So remember in the previous paragraph we read of Christian believers who who trust in Jesus and are saved. Uh, Even the the really bad spiritual builders, they escape through the flames. So true believers, they're saved. But that doesn't seem to be the case here for these other people in the second paragraph, the, the anyone of verse 17 that are guilty of destroying God's temple. It seems that because destruction awaits them, these people show themselves either clearly or in the end to not being true followers of Jesus. They could either be clear opponents of the gospel of Jesus, or they could be people that look like genuine Christians, but when push comes to shove, they've got a very different goal in mind than giving Jesus all the glory. There are spiritual enemies of the church found both outside and inside the orbit of God's people. In fact, it's striking, if you read the New Testament letters, how many more warnings there are to churches, to true churches, about imposter teachers, imposter builders, imposter Christians that are lurking around and about them. There's way more warnings about those type of people then there are warnings about obvious enemies of, of the gospel. So in many ways, these two verses are an encouragement to us as church. It is tragic when enemies of Jesus Christ do destroy a church family. Uh, it's a horrible thing to, to experience. But if we've ever been on the receiving end of that, we can be confident that God will bring just judgment on such people. I think this is a truth that enables our brothers and sisters around the world to endure severe persecution, sometimes death even for following Christ. They know that enemies of the true church are picking a battle with God himself. And the God who says, vengeance is mine, will one day repay 
So that means we need not worry about achieving vengeance ourselves, destruction of spiritual enemies that destroy churches. That's not our job. That's God's job. He alone can execute perfect justice. So if we or our brothers and sisters ever find ourselves on the receiving end of such destructive work, let's take comfort that God sees what's going on, he knows, and he dwells among his people. He will repay and he will vindicate the community that he loves to dwell among, those who are committed to faithfully building on his son, Jesus. This passage is also a warning to any who would seek to lay a foundation other than Jesus Christ, for any that would destroy the church, who maybe even say they're they're Christians, they're followers of Jesus, but in reality they spread lies about him or they live in such a way that, that denies the power of the gospel. Perhaps it's a a reminder for us to just keep our antennae up as we decide who to let influence us in our spiritual lives as well. Let us be mature. Let us be alert to any, no matter how great their following or influence or claims for Christ or what they uh, seem to have done on the face of things for, for the church. Let's be wary of any who leave a trail of destruction in God's temple. Church, we together are that temple. That should give us pause for thought as we consider how we conduct our life together. We are an amazing place. We are the place where God dwells. And and so that should spur us on to, to gather regularly in this way. Our life should give reverent honor and glory to the God who is pleased to dwell among us, who wants to make his son famous through us. If you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, welcome. It's really great to see you. Uh, We hope you feel uh, welcomed by us here this evening. And I want to say, as much as we as a church sometimes fall short of some of these words here, we don't always get them perfect all the time, We do believe they are still true, that our life together as a community should reflect something of the truth we believe about Jesus, something about who Jesus is and the the eternal life that he offers to all who trust him. Now, as Christians, we believe we're no better than other people. We are not people who God has rewarded for doing good, but we're just people that God has rescued God has opened the eyes of our our hearts, our inside. We've we've seen by God's grace how we've rejected him, how we've turned our backs on him. And we've seen that he's provided us a savior in his son, Jesus, who's paid for all our sin, who gives us eternal life in him. God has revealed his glory to us as a people in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a great joy for us as church to know that he is continuing to show others his glory even through us as we seek to build our life carefully on the eternally fireproof foundation of Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to ask us more about that, spend time with us, uh, kick the tires of Christchurch a bit, see what we get up to, see what we prioritize, 
Uh, and most of all, talk to us about our Savior, Jesus. We encourage you to build your life on him. Because in the great scheme of things, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's take a moment to pray. Uh, let's pause for a few seconds of silence and maybe reflect on one thing that we might want to take home from this part of God's word. It could be something that we want to change in the way we think or believe about church. It could be a change in our attitude or behavior, a way of doing things that, that better conforms to Jesus as our foundation. A moment to reflect, then I'll pray. Some words from Ephesians 2. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Lord God, by your spirit, we pray that you would grant us care as we build on Christ. Please protect us from destruction. Help us to see the church as you see it. Help us to serve the church as you would have us serve. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.